Take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. And they worshiped him. And not only were they proud of their prosperity and proud of their beauty, they were also proud of their religion, their emperor worship, if you will. Now, the problem with that, that was, it was a hard place for Christians. Early in the history of the church, a church was planted in Smyrna. But it wasn't an easy place to be a Christian. There was tribulation. People had a hard time in the city of Smyrna if they were believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. The choir just sang about Jesus is Lord. Well, sing about Jesus is Lord in ancient Smyrna and you're going to be in trouble. You were supposed to be worshiping the emperor. If you were worshiping something else, then you were thought strange. You were thought a little peculiar. You were thought unpatriotic you weren't going to worship the emperor. And so the Christians went through tribulation. They went through persecution. Some of the church historians tell us that some of them were thrown to the wild beasts. In the second century, there was a, an aged uh, leader in the church there in Smyrna, very devout man, a very good man. He had a funny name. His name was Polycarp. Polycarp was arrested because of his faith and brought before the Roman proconsul. And the proconsul said to him, I will release you if you will deny Christ. And this old man stood before the Roman proconsul and said, Eighty and six years have I served him, and he has never done me any wrong. How then could I blaspheme my king who has saved me? And they took Polycarp out, tied him to a stake, stacked wood around him, and burned him alive. Was it easy to be a Christian in Smyrna? Not only was there tribulation, there was poverty among the believers. Why? Well, one thing is if you were following Jesus, then you were kind of suspect, so who's going to hire you? And if you found, already had a job and they found out you were following him and not worshiping the Roman emperor, they would probably fire you. Sometimes the government authorities would confiscate your property. Sometimes just mobs of violent people would say, oh, that guy's a Christian, we'll fix him. And so they went in and destroyed their property. Christians there went through poverty. They went through something else, slander. Some just delighted and said, He's a Christian. Do you know what Christians do? Do you know what they think? Do you know what they believe? Do you know what they won't do? You know, they're not our kind. The guy's slandered. Smyrna wasn't an easy city to be a Christian. Smyrna was one of the seven churches in the book of Revelation that the risen Christ addresses. What is the risen Christ going to say to a church in a place like Smyrna. Let's look. I'm going to look one verse at a time. Hope that you will have your Bibles and follow along. Beginning in verse 8, these are the words of the risen Christ. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. 
And always in these letters, you get a beginning that gives a characterization of Christ. And here, Jesus says to this church and remind them of two things about Him. He is the first and He is the last. In other words, He was at the very beginning. He was before the very beginning. There's not going to be a time in the future when He's not going to be. Jesus is the one who stands outside of time and eternity. Was there before time began, will be there when time ends. He is the first and He is the last. He had the first word and He will have the last word. And then He said to them, who died and came to life again. You see, He was persecuted. He allowed Himself to be persecuted. He allowed Himself to be crucified. He knew what was going on in their lives because He had walked in their shoes. And yet, He overcame. God raised Him from the dead and made Him alive forevermore. He overcame. So this Christ, who was before time and will be forever, this Christ who lived among us and was persecuted, died and raised again, said this to His people. Verse 9, I know your afflictions. Man, how about that? Jesus knew their afflictions. Jesus knows our afflictions. It might not be persecution, but He knows what we're going through. One of my favorite passages is when God is calling Moses, you know, there at the burning bush. You remember what God said? I have heard the cry of my people. I have seen their trouble. And I know what's going on with them. And I have come to rescue them. God knows. Jesus knows when we go through struggles, when we go through trials, when we go through illness, when we go through grief. He knows. He knows and He understands. He said to them, I know your afflictions. He knew what they were going through. He knew that they were going through afflictions. He knew their poverty. He knew that they were going through that difficult time. Look there at verse 9 again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. Now remember what condition they were in. They were poor. And Jesus comes to them and says, yet you are rich. Why? Because there are riches in the eternal realm that have no comparison with the riches of this world. Sometimes it's the people who aren't rich in this world's goods who are the most likely to understand what God is offering when He offers them salvation. James, the Lord's brother, wrote, Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom He has promised those who love Him? Sometimes it's the people who are having a rough time when everything isn't going easy, when they're not on top of the world, who hear and understand just what Jesus is offering when He offers eternal life. And so they're the ones who respond. Jesus made another promise about those who go through difficult times, who go through afflictions, who are impoverished because of their faith. 
He said in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Great is your reward in heaven. Riches unimaginable. So Jesus reminds them, yes, I know what you're going through, but remember, you are rich. And then he said, I know the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. He knew that those Christians were being talked about and not in a good way. He knew that they were being slandered. Now, evidently, a lot of the slander were coming by the Jews that lived there in that city. You know, they just seemed to delight in making trouble for the Christians in the you know, early years of the church. And you know, they'd done that in some of the cities where Paul had visited. You know, got Paul beaten or stoned and thrown in jail a time or two. You know, and, and that's what they were doing here. And Jesus said, those who say they are Jews and are not, counterfeit. You know, by race and religion, Jewish, but not the true Jews who accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, who receive the Messiah. And so they confirm their rejection by persecuting his followers. So Jesus said, I know. I know your affliction. I know your poverty. I know the slander that's coming against you. So what does he say? Look at the first part of verse 10. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Do not be afraid. You're facing physical persecution, it's hard not to be afraid. I mean, they could see what was going on around them. They could see what was happening to others who followed the Lord Jesus. And yet Jesus comes and says, do not be afraid. Have you ever stopped to think how many times the Bible tells us that? Don't be afraid? Well, just, just read through it sometime and notice, you know, the different people that were told, don't be afraid. Well, I like what the psalmist said. In Psalm 56, he said, When I am afraid, I will trust in you, in God whose word I praise. In God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? That's evidently some of the idea that the Jesus was reminding them that they were to have, the attitude that they were to have. Jesus also said, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. In other words, you don't have to be afraid of people. But you better have reverence for the eternal God because your eternal destiny is bound up with Him. So Jesus came to them and said, I know what you're facing. I know what you're about to suffer. Don't be afraid. And He says, I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Now, they were not to fear because the devil was behind the persecution. The devil is the author of all evil. If Satan is the author of evil, do you give up on God when you're going through a hard time? He's the one that's going to be able to help you. 
So you turn to God. You don't give up on God when life is hard. It's Satan that's bringing the hard things into life, the evil things. Don't turn away from God. He wants to help you. He wants to bless you. And then he, the persecution would be relatively short. That idea of 10 days there. You remember when Abraham sent his servant to get a, a wife for his son Isaac? And he wanted him to go back and take some from his own relatives. And he went back and he found Rebecca. And Rebecca's mother and brother said, well, you know, yes, she can go with you and she can be Isaac's wife. But can we wait 10 days? Or maybe you remember when Daniel and his companions were, you know, taken to Babylon. And they were supposed to be fed the king's rich diet. And they said, no, feed us a healthy diet for 10 days and then taste us. In other words, test us. So, in other words, a short period of time. A relatively short period of time. So, don't be afraid. Yeah, trouble's going to come. But remember where it comes from. And in relatively a short period of time, you can endure it. And then notice what he says there in the last part of verse 10. He said, be faithful. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you a crown of life. Faithfulness. The aged Polycarp was faithful to the point of death. Jesus seems to value faithfulness. You make a commitment to him and you stick with it. He wants us to be faithful. He wants us to be faithful no matter what. No matter how much it costs. He calls us to follow Him and to be faithful. Because you see, He's going to be faithful to us. Several years ago, I got to go on a mission trip to Ecuador. It was with an organization that did a couple of big mission trips a year. One was medical missions. And they tried to do a lot of outreach and evangelism with that one. The other one was for people to come in and work with local pastors and seek to train them so that they would have trained pastors in the churches that were there. And, you know, the course would last about a month and we would go and the, the leaders, you know, would stay two weeks and teach a certain course and then somebody else would come two weeks and teach another course. And they would get about four courses under their belt, you know, in the, in the course of that time. I was to go and I was to teach you know, how you dig into the Scripture, find out what the Scripture means, and use that as a foundation to preach your sermons. Had a little more than half a dozen men in my class, and we got to know one another, and we shared with one another. And I never will forget what one man shared with us. Remember that class, good student. He said that several years before, his child was really sick. And so he had gone to a gathering, a small gathering of evangelicals for a prayer meeting. And as they were praying, a bunch of, now remember this is a different culture in a different country, but a bunch of machete-wielding Catholics came in who thought that evangelicals were heretics. And they started hacking away with their machetes. This man was able to get out a side door, started running, group of them started chasing him. Now this is up in the mountains, up in the Andes, 10,000 feet up, rugged terrain, rugged mountains, little vegetation, 
not good roads, not good paths. He's running along one of these, and you know, there's a big steep cliff over here. He couldn't climb and get away. There's a ravine on the other side. He couldn't get away. He realized he wasn't going to be able to keep out running that whole group. Saw a little bush down in the ravine just a little ways. He went down, grabbed hold of that bush, held on, out of sight. It was after dark. They came by, the men that were chasing him, and looked. Didn't see anything. Thought he must have gone some other way. They left. He pulled himself back up to the pathway, and that branch, the bush, came loose, fell way down into the ravine. Just barely escaped his life made his way back home. When he got there, his child had died just a little before. Think of where that man was when I knew him. He was in a class learning how better to preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Faithful. Faithful. Jesus said, be faithful. No matter what we experience, no matter what the cost. Jesus said, be faithful. Be faithful to the point of death. And then he says, you will receive a crown of life. New Testament time, crowns were for two things. Crowns were for victors in athletic contests. You know, they would take, take olive branches and weave them together and make a crown and present them to the one who, who had won the competition. So it's a sign of victory. Crown is also something that kings wore and queens wore. It's a sign of rule or authority. What's Jesus saying to us? Be faithful and you will be victorious and you will get to share my reign for all eternity. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. In verse 11, he gives another promise. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. The Bible talks about Two deaths. Here's the death of the body, the natural physical death. All of us will experience the first death unless Jesus comes. And if we're a believer when Jesus comes, then, then we don't experience the first death. Other, other than that, we're going to experience the first death. After death, something else comes. The scripture says in Hebrews chapter 9, as my man is destined to die once, after that to face judgment. You die and you face the judgment. Now, understand what the Scripture says. Understand. You need to hear this in the way that the different religions and the different religious ideas are circulating in our land today. You die once and then you face judgment. Forget this foolishness about reincarnation is no such thing. It is appointed to us to die once and after that, the judgment, and then what happens at the judgment? Again, in Revelation, we find out. Listen to Revelation 20. Very end has come. 
Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Either you go to heaven or you're thrown into the lake of fire. Either you have Jesus and you have eternal life or you don't have Jesus and you're thrown into the lake of fire. Jesus says, you overcome. You follow me and you will not be hurt by the second death. Instead, you get to enjoy all the wonders, all of the glory, all of the beauty, all of the riches of heaven. What a promise. What a promise. We know little real persecution in our land today. Eh, generally speaking, we're a Christian nation. Now, you know, not in reality, but you know, generally speaking, you know, Christianity is now the largest religion in the world. You know, most of the developed countries, you know, have Christian roots, and Christianity is expanding in a, in a lot of what we call the third world company, countries. But you know, it's not that way all around the world. There's much persecution of Christian around the world. You know, imagine what it would be like to be a Christian in the, just about anywhere in the Middle East. You know, in Iraq, Afghanistan, Egypt. Christians are even having trouble now. You know, all throughout North Africa, you know, the persecution of Christians is taking place in Nigeria. You know, religious extremists target them. Sometimes it's, it's, you know, official policy. Uh, communist China still really keeps their thumb on Christians. Uh, Christians are persecuted in Vietnam. Christians are persecuted in North Korea. You could just go on and on. Uh, Christians today face arrest. They face beatings. They face rape. They face imprisonment. They face death because they're following the Lord Jesus. We need to remember them and to pray for them. Some places in this world, it's literal. If you're faithful, you're going to be faithful unto death. We need to remember that. We need to remember something else. We're going to experience more persecution in our land. As our nation becomes more and more pagan, as our nation becomes more and more sinful, those who hold to belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord, not a Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, and who follow a high moral ethic are going to be more and more suspect. We're different. We're peculiar. We're strange. You know, people are suspicious of those who are different. And as we fall into the minority, then we look different. And what happens? Well, then slander starts. Uh, listen carefully to the media. Sometimes believers are portrayed as ignorant or evil. A while back, there was going to be a March for Jesus rally in Minneapolis, Minnesota. A college nearby, some leaflets were circulated. Take a stand against bigotry and hate. 
Stand up for reproductive freedom and gay rights. There's going to be a march at Loring Park on June the 12th by religious bigots who want to move forward their political agenda. You see, we'll be labeled as bigots. We will be anti-woman. We'll be anti-gay. We'll be anti-tolerance. We will be anti-diversity and we'll be suspect. Don't be surprised. Jesus is telling us that the key to overcoming is faithfulness. Faithfulness to him no matter what. And we in the American church have got to learn that. Because you see, sometimes we aren't very faithful. Somebody hurts our feelings at church. They say the wrong thing or don't say the right thing. And we think, I'm out of there. <clears throat> Somebody says, well, I invited my neighbor to come to church and now she won't speak to me. I won't invite anybody else. We think, I, 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 I kind of keep quiet that I'm a believer because I really want to fit in with that group and, and enjoy being buds with them. Jesus said, be faithful. Are you faithful enough to endure teasing at school because you hold to high Christian values? Are you faithful enough to let it, people at work know that you're a believer? Are you faithful enough to stay close to God even when you're sick or grieving? Are you faithful enough to attend and support your church even when every decision doesn't go your way? Are you faithful? Jesus said, be faithful. Be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you a crown of life. That means you make a commitment. You make a commitment to Jesus and you keep that commitment. My father was an alcoholic. Because he was an alcoholic, my mother went through some tough times. I heard her say more than once, when we got married, I was listening when the preacher said, for better or for worse. And she stood by her commitment. And in doing so, she taught me and my brothers what commitment really means. There's someone else who set an example of faithfulness. His name was Jesus. And because he wanted to go be faithful to God, because he wanted to be faithful to us, he allowed himself to be arrested, beat up, spit upon, have a crown of thorns put on his head, scourged, and nailed to a cross till all of his life seeped out of him, faithful unto death so he could be obedient to what God wanted him to do, faithful unto death so that you and I might not have to experience the second death, but have eternal life. Today, maybe you need to pray for courage and say, Lord, by your strength, 
might be faithful. Today, maybe you need to recommit yourself to faithfulness and realize that you're in a spiritual battle with good and evil and will be for the rest of your life until you get to go to heaven. But you're going to be a faithful servant and soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ every day. You recommit to faithfulness. Maybe you are realizing for the first time that without Jesus as your Savior, without having accepted Him, your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life. And if you were to die without that ever changing, without you ever making that decision, your eternal destiny would be the lake of fire. Jesus was faithful so you wouldn't have to go there. Will you receive what He's offering you? Forgiveness of your sin? Escape from hell? Entrance into heaven? His presence with you day by day? Having a Lord who knows each and everything you're going through and He loves you and He forgives you when you mess up and He keeps helping you get up and He keeps watching over you and providing over you and blessing you. Will you come today and receive Jesus as your Lord. Our invitation to Him this morning is 442.